Well, today I'm going to begin or continue our series from Acts chapter 2. If you want to turn there, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And Anne asked, as I was getting ready to come up, if I was going to give an update on my visit to the Mayo Clinic. And I'll just get, tell you that we went, we're back, and I'm going back again. <laughs> And I don't know a whole lot more, other than I need another one more procedure, and uh, hopefully we'll get some more answers at that point. I, I'll be meeting with the doctor uh, on the 23rd. So uh, thank you for all the concern. I've had a number of people who have said they've been praying and, and uh, wondering what's going on. And uh, as, as I t- keep telling people, and I, uh, very sincerely, honestly, I'm uh, still not sure <laughs> what, what exactly is going on, but we hope to have some more answers on the 23rd, and we'll certainly keep you all posted on things at that point. So thank you for your prayers. Well, if you recall in Acts uh, chapter 2, uh, in verse 42, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And uh, I've often said that the breaking of uh, bread there isn't necessarily mean that they would come and celebrate what we consider or call uh, communion or the Lord's Supper, Uh, but today that's what I'm going to be talking about, is uh, the Lord's Supper. And uh, we're going to uh, look at that verse uh, from that angle we know that later on in that ver- those verses, it talks about that they would come together on a regular basis, that they would share meals together, that they would have fellowship with one another. And uh, uh, the idea there being that it wasn't just going to church, but rather it became a lifestyle uh, of worship and praise and adoration of God and what Jesus Christ had done for them. And it was also an, an uh, opportunity for Believers to come together to encourage one another, to, to push one another on toward uh, a better uh, life. And as they grew in understanding of the word, and as they grew in their understanding in fellowship with the Lord. Well, what I want to talk about today is, I believe that from scripture there is a right way to do our last supper, or breaking of bread, or communion. And I want to talk about that because one of the things that happened in the Corinthians church and I believe happened in probably a lot of other places and maybe even today is happening in places and that's that people would do it in an incorrect way. And I'll talk to you a little bit more about that and I'll tell you, give you a hint up front, I'm not talking procedurally but rather attitudinally. So... If you would turn with me, we're going to go back to the book of Matthew chapter 26. And if you want to turn there, Matthew 26, and we're going to uh, begin by looking at uh, verses 17 through 20. And um, in these verses, we see, uh, to start with, that Jesus and his disciples made plans to go and celebrate. So let's look at the verses 17 uh, of chapter 26 of Matthew. On the first day of the feast of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? 
He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says my appointed time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. So the first thing I want us to notice here is that there was uh, an expectation or an understanding that Jesus would uh, participate in the Passover. Uh, It wasn't a question of, uh, are we going to, Rabbi, as they're talking to Jesus? They they weren't saying, you know, do you think we should... No, it was a matter of when and where are we going to do this. And I find it interesting that as Jesus gives the answer, he tells them, well, go to this... this, this man and tell him that we're going to come and use his house for the Passover. I, I love when I read verses like that because you know that that is only a, a possibility because Jesus was God and he knew that this man would be agreeable. Obviously, if he had sent them into town and just say, well, go and find somebody and they didn't find anybody, they could have been in a lot of trouble. But he sent them and, and, I, and the other uh, verses uh, or the other uh, gospels, we see times when uh, he said, well, you'll see a man carrying a, a, a jar and, you know, those kinds of things. But there's a specific place and purpose, uh, but there's the understanding that he was going to uh, go there and he was going to participate in this. But it's also interesting that as we continue here, verse 20, again, I'm going to read, because we're going to see that there's a few differences that Jesus brings in uh, as he's... Uh, working with them on on this uh, process of uh, participating in the uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread or the Passover. It says in 20, When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. If you remember in the Old Testament, there were some very specific ways that they were supposed to do the Passover meal. And in fact, when uh, they were instructed, when God was going to, through, through Moses, lead them out of Egypt, there was a very prescribed thing they were to do. They were to stand at the table. They were to be ready. They were to have their, their uh, gowns uh, uh, cinched up and ready to go and move out. But here we see Jesus reclining at the table. And I just find it very interesting, and I think there's a subtle thing that's happening here where he's saying, look, I'm not, is, I'm not so concerned about us following the traditional methodology as I am with something else that's much more important to me and something that I want you to be aware of. And so we're going to look at some of those uh, changed traditions as we go along here. Well, the first thing that we see is that Jesus, while he was there uh, during this uh, meal, he suddenly changes direction a little bit. And I want us to turn into the book of Luke because I, there's some things that are in Luke that I want us to just take a quick look at. So to look at uh, Luke chapter 22, and uh, we're going to look at verses 19 and 20 here. Luke chapter 22, verses 19 and 20. And Jesus, uh, the Bible says this, And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. 
You see, he's, he's changing his direction here a little bit. All of a sudden, he has taken it from the traditional way to doing it to talking about himself in a very specific way and talking about some things that at the moment, I don't believe that the disciples could have possibly fully comprehended. He's talking to them about a future event, not very far, a lot, far off, but he's talking about something that is going to take place and they're kind of like, wait a minute, this is a break from tradition. What exactly is it that you're talking about? So he takes the bread. And what is the first thing that we see that Jesus does when he takes the bread? He takes the bread and he breaks it and he looks up to heaven and he thanks God for that. And if you happen to look at your preparation for worship today, you remember that uh, when Jesus was feeding the 5,000, what was the first thing he did? He took the bread and he looked up to heaven and he gave thanks. Jesus gives us a representation here of what it is that he would have us to do and that's to have a thankfulness toward God. He wants us to represent or recognize what he is talking about. So the first thing he's doing here is he's telling them something new. This bread represents my body which is broken for you. In other words, it isn't my body physically. It is representing what is going to happen to me. My body is going to be broken for you. My body is going to become a sacrifice for you. And I want you to see that. I want you to recognize the representation of that. And then he takes the cup and he does the same thing. It says, in the like manner or in the, like, uh, in the same way, he took the cup. And saying, and I believe that he probably also said thanks, though it's not doesn't specifically say that there. I'm, I'm sure he thanked God for that as he did this. And he and he uh, takes the cup and he says, "This cup represents my blood." Well, those of you who've been here know that that we often say, "What does the blood represent?" The blood, when he's talking about this, is he's talking about his very life, isn't he? The blood represents life. Without the blood going through our bodies, we would die. We don't have the oxygen and all the other things that we need to be able to survive. He is saying to them, I am going to allow my body to be broken, and I'm going to give up my very life blood for you. That's what he's trying to tell them there. And I want you to take this bread that I'm giving you, I want you to take this cup that I'm giving to you and recognize what it is And he's telling them, but he's also telling us today, whenever, whenever you sit down and you do this together, do these things in remembrance of me. It's significant, isn't it? It's something that he he wants them to grasp and to understand. He's talking about what is going to happen when he dies on the cross. For you and for me. When he takes our sins upon himself, Jesus Christ, God, who came into this world, who had never ever experienced sin, who had never ever come in contact with sin when he was in heaven, as God, came to earth and he saw it all around him. He saw the sin of mankind. But he still did not sin. But when he hung on that cross... Your sins and my sins, not just those who did this to him, but your sins and my sins were poured out on him that he may be the one who would forgive us of our sins. 
And so he's saying something here that is not just applicable for these disciples, but he's saying something here that's applicable for you and for me as well, and something that's extremely significant. Well, the other thing that he talks about is he says that this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. It's a new covenant. If you think back in the Old Testament uh, books, you would know that we've had several other covenants that were made. You know, you had the Abrahamic covenant, uh, you had the, the uh, covenant with uh, Jonah that he would never again destroy the earth, you know, Abraham, there's covenants. And so as I was thinking about this this week, I thought, well, what exactly is a covenant? What is a biblical covenant? And so I went to the Tyndale Bible Dictionary and it says this, a covenant is an arrangement between two parties involving mutual obligation. You see, the covenant isn't something that is just God toward us or just us toward God, but it's a mutual obligation. It's especially, arranged, uh, especially the arrangement that established the relationship between God and his people, ex- expressed in grace first with Israel and then with the church. Through that covenant, God has conveyed to humanity the meaning of human life and salvation. Covenant is one of the central themes of the Bible. Where some covenants are between human beings, others between God and human beings. And the one, one of those that I thought of real quickly between uh, people is if you remember when Abraham was looking for a, a, a grave and he made a covenant or an agreement, an arrangement uh, to buy uh, a place to bury his wife. But I, I also checked Easton's Bible dictionary and it adds this. From patriarchal times, a covenant of alliance was sealed by the blood of some sacrificial victim. You remember back, they they would sacrifice uh, the lambs, right? And uh, so there there was more to the covenant than just a verbal agreement. There was an actual physical thing that took place, and that physical thing required the blood of a sacrificial animal. So Jesus here is, I think, making it very clear that I'm making an obligation, a commitment between God and you. A covenant agreement. Jesus Christ is making a covenant that can never be broken. God has always been faithful to his Old Testament covenants. He will always be faithful to this covenant. This is the final covenant that would come between God and man. And it took a blood sacrifice, and we know that that blood sacrifice is Jesus Christ himself, who died upon the cross, and he gave up his blood for us. So do you think this is a significant uh, thing that's happening as Jesus is sitting with, with uh, his disciples and he's giving this instruction? It's a very solemn and significant event, and, and it's worthy of us taking time to think about these things. I, I remember once uh, at another church, I pre- preached the message, and I talked about what it is that we're supposed to remember. If you go back and you, and you start to do that, and you start to think about it, you have to go back and look at all of the things that we've read about, about what Jesus did in his life, right? That's what he's saying. Remember all of these things that I've done for you, but not just that, but also remember what I'm going to do in the next couple of days, which was die on the cross, Significant, and then John, 
in his gospel says, and if everything that Jesus had said and done were written, there wouldn't be enough room in all of the world to hold all of the information. Can you imagine? And he's saying to them, and he's saying to us, remember all of these things. But most of all, I think he's saying, remember my final sacrificial covenant between you and God. And that is that you may inherit eternal life. But I said earlier, there's a mutual agreement. There is a requirement. That requirement is that we must believe. We must trust that it's true. That Jesus Christ not only died for our sins, but he was raised from the grave that he's still alive in heaven. He ascended into heaven where he's still sitting at the right hand of God the Father and he's making a way for you and I to spend eternity there as well. Well, let's turn uh, to 1 Corinthians, if you would. uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And uh, as with anything, any kind of teaching or anything else that could go on, uh, there's always going to be some place in some way that there's going to be a problem that develops. Okay, so uh, we turn to the Corinthian church and we see that obviously there's an issue that has developed here. And so Paul is addressing that. So we're going to look at uh, verses 17 through 22 here. And uh, so let me just read it for you real quickly. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together... As a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat, for as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. And so Paul lays out for us here uh, the problem that has come along. It's interesting that he says, uh, with regard to the following, I have no praise for you. Over in uh, verse 2 of chapter 11, you'll see, he says, I praise you for remembering me and everything and for holding to the teachings just as I pass them on. So he, he's not here like beating them up. He's not here saying everything you do is wrong. He's just got done praising them. But he's saying in this area, there's an area here where you are in error and you're doing something in a way that is not honoring, it is not remembering the way that I would have you to remember. And so he's, he's bringing their attention. And I think it's worthy for us to just spend a moment to look at what some of those things are. And so we're going to look at some things that are remembering in the right way. We're going to look at some of the things that uh, uh, they were doing wrong, and then we're going to go back and see what Jesus uh, taught us on that. So the first thing we see is that there was a problem with the way that they were, uh, or that they had some unresolved issues within the church. There were unresolved issues. In other words, there was some problems that had developed within the church that uh, were being ignored or being pushed down. And you know that uh, today there's really... Uh, a lot of pressure uh, in church leadership to just uh, just let it slide, you know. Don't 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 worry about. It. Don't deal with that thing. And I have to tell you that as uh, when you're in church leadership, it'd be a lot easier sometimes to just kind of uh, turn your head and ignore things. But when you do, these problems just fester and fester and get bigger and bigger and get worse and worse. 
I'm grateful that we have wonderful leadership here in our church, and, and Pastor Brian is, is a wonderful uh, senior pastor, and we have elders that are very much on top of, of things, and, and, and don't let things slide, uh, resolve issues and take care of them. But in some churches, you have the problem where, where they just kind of ignore things, and they just boil and bubble and, and keep going on. And I think that's what was happening here uh, in the Corinthians church. And so... One of those things is the way that they were treating one another. They're treating one another in a way that was not God-honoring. It was not pleasing to God. And so uh, verse 20 says that uh, it's not the Lord's Supper that you are eating because that would require them to have the right attitude toward one another. So he's, he's concerned about their attitude, the way they deal with one another. He also says that when, when you come together, uh, you're not recognizing and remembering the body of Christ, but you're only thinking about yourself. You're only thinking about yourself. People are going ahead of another. Some are eating a lot and some are getting none. Some are drinking so much that they're getting drunk in the church. Uh, it, it was out of control. He's saying, I, I have no praise for you in this. You need to get this Right. Because this is a solemn, significant thing that you're doing. And I want you to do it in a way that is honoring to God. In a way that recognizes the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And so the, the last thing that we see is that their action in verse uh, 22 there. This is a significant statement. It says... Uh, don't you have homes to uh, eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? Do, do you see that as a very strong? Their action demonstrated that they despise the church. You hear me say periodically, you know, there's, there's times when you read over a verse and you can just read past something. That to me, really strikes me as one that you need to stop and take a look at. My attitude, my behavior, it has to be something that does not demonstrate that I despise the church, but rather that I honor the church because the church is the bride of Christ. Christ loved the church, and I have to love the church as well. And so they were humiliating the poor. They were despising the church. They were behaving in ways that were not constructive or healthy for the church. Well, I want us to take a quick look at a, a comparison here between um, uh, the Christ example and the way this church had been functioning. So verse 20, beginning in verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also have passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's honoring God. It's, uh, uh, Jesus honored God the Father by giving thanks. He didn't just take the bread and said, hey, have this bread and kind of remember that it's my broken body. No, he took the time 
to look up to heaven and give thanks. He had a thankful attitude toward God, his father. But I want you to think about when he was giving thanks. It's hours before he would be out in a private place by himself praying to God with sweat running from his forehead in such a way that it was like drops of blood that was coming from him. He was in anguish and grief as he's there on his knees praying to God, the Father, because he knew it was ahead of him. This is not just a simple, oh, I'm going to have my body broken for you. I'm going to die on a cross for you, like whoopee-doo. No, he is very serious about it. What he's the most serious about is that he, for the first time, was going to experience sin as he hung on that cross. A horrible thing that he had never experienced before. Separation from his father for the first time ever since before the creation of the world. This is a significant thing, but he takes the time to say, God, thank you for this bread. Thank you for my body, which I'm going to have broken for these people. He has the right attitude, and he demonstrates it with a thankful heart. He gave thanks. He was thankful, even for what he was about to do. He had a thankful attitude, and I think he's calling us to have a thankful attitude as well. I believe very strongly that God, Jesus, is very concerned with our attitude when it comes to not just the communion, but toward the church and toward people in the community, toward recognizing those who need to hear about the Savior. But in verse 26, he says, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We are to continue to do it. We're not to do it, come here, go through the motions, but we're to come here and have our heart attitude examined and checked to make sure we're in line with where God would have us to be. He's concerned about our attitude. Well, lastly, he calls us to have a final self-examination as we come to participate. We're to examine our hearts and our attitude. He's also calling us to check our conduct. How do I stand with others within the church? How do I stand with those outside of the church? What has my attitude been? How have I treated others? Have I treated other people within the church and outside of the church, have I treated them a way that represents the broken body of Jesus Christ? Does it represent Jesus Christ who was going to make this ultimate sacrifice? That's what he's asking us to do. So uh, often on, uh, on communion Sundays, we, we come down to the front and we say, I'm going to give you a moment, and we're going to do that today. I'm going to give you a moment to examine your life and to reflect. This is the reason that we do that. Not in a matter of judgment. We're not, we're not sitting around saying, okay, I know that you have this wrong and you have that wrong. No, it's you self-examine. You take a look at your life, your behavior, conduct, everything that you're doing and see if it's God-honoring. And if there's an area that you know that you have to make right with somebody else, take the time to do it. In fact, if we 
were not always on a time crunch, I would almost get to the point where I would say, you know, one of the things that we ought to do is if you have somebody here in this congregation right now that you have something against or has something against you, get up and go to that person before you participate in the elements. That's how serious this is. That's why it's a significant thing. And that's why we need to take the time to do it. We're being called to correct self-judgment. Christ, though he was God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, according to Philippians 2. As Christ came and he was dealing with this issue and all of the other things that he ever did, what was the one thing that he constantly did? He constantly went away from others and he took time to pray. He constantly would go and find a place where he could communicate with his father. I believe that when he was in that garden and he was saying, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. This is exactly what he was talking about. If it's possible, don't make me go through what I'm going to go through. Ah, But my father, not my will, but yours be done. Don't, don't take it away if it's the one thing that has to happen. And of course, he, we know that he knew that was the thing that had to happen. But he's saying, I don't want to go through this. I don't want to have to bear sin for the first time ever. I don't want to have to experience the sins of Hank Steed as I hang on this cross. My blood is is being poured out of my body. I don't want to have to experience the filth and the dirt. But not my will, Father, yours be done. Do you get the attitude? And that's the right way for us to do communion or the Lord's Supper. We should make sure that our heart is right with God. The first thing is that you must have trust Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. We, we practice open communion here, so we say that if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you can participate as we pass the elements, you're welcome to participate. But if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, we would ask that you would just pass the elements. That's how significant it is. We believe that it represents the broken body of Jesus Christ when we take the bread. And when we take the cup, it represents his blood, his very life blood that was given up for us. It's significant. It's important. And we want to do it in the right way. And so I'm going to invite our men, if they would come, and and, and we're going to... uh, Uh, serve uh, the elements. We're going to ask that if you uh, are a born-again Christian that you would feel free to participate. Feel free to participate. There wouldn't be a 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 feel free to there wouldn't be a
disappear. Freedom. There wouldn't be a disappear.